All right, saints, if you would open your Bibles to the New Testament book, Epistle of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Now, when Paul wrote this epistle, I want to give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. Lately, we've been just kind of going through the passages, but I do want you to understand what's happening here. That when Paul wrote this, he is in a prison about to be put to death by Nero. So the Caesar who's there, Paul had been in prison before. The first time that he was in prison, however, it was more like a house prison. At this point, he's actually in a cell, a cold, dark cell um, that he is basically being kept alive by those who are going to minister to him, but it's not like his first imprisonment. So he's writing this knowing that soon he's going to be put to death. And it's incredible that when you read this epistle, you really don't see Paul despairing. You actually see him saying, hey, I'm going to graduate soon. And just before I graduate, I want to pass on some information to you. And it's important for you to, in order to have the same joy that I have as I'm about to graduate, is because I've been faithful. And so he goes and through this epistle begins to talk to Timothy about being faithful. Um, He's going to start out by saying, be faithful to your creator. Be faithful, just truly. Be faithful to your calling. Be be faithful um, to those confrontations that you will have. Be faithful to your charge that was given to you by the laying on of the hands. Be faithful to your responsibilities things that God will call you to do, and then be, be faithful um, to watch out for these areas of corruption that will come in, this area of apostasy. And then lastly, as he concludes, he's going to really say, be, be faithful truly in your duties that will be coming upon you in, in rapid, rapid succession. So what was happening is there's going to be this, this growing obstacle that Paul is saying to Timothy, there's going to be growing obstacles to your ministry. And you have to be ready for it. Because what's going to be happening is, is there's going to be these, these outside persecutions. There will People from the outside of the church are going to come in, and, and there's going to be persecutions through there. There's also going to be basically um, just... Del- disillusion for some people within the church themselves and they're going to come and they're going to be walking initially and then finding the 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 struggles the difficulties and they're going to move on from that and so they're going to be just you know um, disillusions and dissensions actually within the body of Christ and then he says be careful because there's even going to be within the, the, um, the body itself, there's going to be teachers who are going to be speaking deception. And you got to watch out for those also. And so as he goes through this, he's just saying that be careful because there's going to be a lot of obstacles that's going to come into your ministry. But here's the key. When the obstacles come, just simply be faithful. Just be faithful to just know what you were called to do and continue to do that. As we mentioned, Paul was in prison. I want to give you two verses simply simply to jot down. The first is found in, in um, 2 Timothy 2.9. He makes this statement. He says, For which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. And of course, the evildoer, he was one who declared the gospel. Oh my goodness, what a troublemaker he was. But he suffered because of an evildoer. And he says, to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. So at this point, keep in mind that he's not in that house prison. He's literally in chains is where he's at. He also then in the very last chapter, in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, bring the cloak that I left with um, Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books and especially the parchments. He's, he's now, at this point, his winter's going to be coming along. He's going to be cold, and they don't heat up their prisons, you know, so he's going to be, you know, cold, and so he's asking for these things. So while he's there in prison, I want you to understand that he's now talking to Timothy And he's saying, before I get put to death by Nero, I want to just share this last letter with you. And I want to tell you one thing, Timothy, be faithful. Out of all the things you're going to do, just be faithful. 
There's a lot of things that we are going to regret in this life. Being faithful to the scriptures and being faithful to God is not going to be one of them. When you're faithful, no matter whatever happens, like, yeah, but that was good. That was a good time. That was a good point. Regardless of whether there were, you know, sufferings or whatever happened, I realized that what? I sought to be faithful. There are some times where, you know, our spirit is willing, the body's not able. And so we want to be faithful. We can't. But the blessed is what? Is I want to be faithful. That's my great desire to be faithful. Yeah, I'm going to falter. Yeah, I'm going to fall. But here's the key. So jumping in here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Once again, he doesn't call himself a servant. Remember a lot of the other epistles, he calls himself a servant or a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He's calling himself an apostle to one establish a point of authority. So he says, I'm, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In other words, I didn't choose this on my own. I didn't say, wow, I want to be an apostle. No, God was the one who did this. And so as his, he was called into this calling, the same as he's going to tell Timothy, you were called in this calling by God. And so as he calls you, he'll enable you, be faithful in that calling. So here he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then he makes a statement, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. It's so amazing that the very first thing that he does is says, I'm an apostle by the will of God according to this promise of life. The very first thing that he states to Timothy is this, I'm going to live forever. So understand, although he's getting this letter from Paul, who's there in prison and who's going to be put to death because the, the, the rumors are going on, they know what's going to be happening. Paul himself knows what's going to be happening. But he says this, I'm an apostle by the will of God according to the promise of life. Do you know this? I will never die. I will never die. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he came and he found his friend Lazarus there in the tomb and Mary and Martha came and, and he, he let them know there in the Gospel of John. He says, listen, if you die and believe in me. He says, you, you'll never die. You'll never die. And then he said, do you believe this? Do you believe that if you are living and you believe in me, you will never die. You'll never taste death. You'll graduate, but you will never taste death. And, and so it's important that as you have this calling, be faithful in that calling. Don't get sidetracked. There are going to be others that we're going to see here tonight that are going to be sidetracked. And what's going to happen is they're going to actually be deceived. They're going to fall into this deception by the enemy. And when you choose to do that, then all of a sudden, everything that God did, what? It's in limbo. So, so come back to doing what you know is right. And so here he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, a beloved son. So he now says, you are my son in the faith. You are loved. And how cool is that? That, that when Paul is here, he's going to be you know, put to death. He just wants Timothy to know one thing. Out of all the things that I'm going to be telling you, the first thing I want you to know about you and me is this, is you are loved. You are loved. And there's something about being loved. The enemy wants to say we're all alone. There's no one else. Remember Elijah? I alone am left. And God says, no, listen, there's, there's 7,000 more. You're not alone. And what's interesting is even when, when Elijah was alone, where, where was he? He was there on the hill, but God was with him. And he spoke to him in that still small voice. And so he says, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, he does that. Not just those two were grace and peace that he does to all of the other letters to the churches, but when he does the pastoral epistles, he adds mercy. And I think it's a good thing because in all honesty, pastors, we need mercy. And the reason we need mercy is this, because our failings are evident. See, I don't try to hide them. I don't try to be something I'm not. But it's, it's, it's very evident that when I fail, everybody knows. 
Um, you know, when I gave that message on, on Sunday, we talked about just what was going on in our nation. And, and I made that mistake by saying it was Tuesday. And someone after the service said, I wanted just to just interrupt you, say, it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. Like, I know, I know. But in my head, you know, voting's on Tuesday. Everything's on Tuesday. And I kept thinking it was Tuesday. And then it just happened to be Wednesday. And so I make mistakes like that. But we need mercy. We need mercy because we are called to a calling. And I'll tell you what, I need the mercy of God. Because when I fail, so often the enemy says, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to be up there and teaching the word and declaring these truths. And, and there are times where it's like, you're, you're right. I'm not worthy of it, but I'm called to it. And so I don't come because I'm worthy, but I do come because I'm called. And, and that's the important you know, thing that we learn. But I just think it's, it's so important where, where he looks to, to Timothy and he says, Timothy, not only grace and peace like I give to all the churches, but mercy to you. You need mercy as well. Um, and so the, that you won't get what you deserve. And just a, a great line that he does here as he you know, goes to this um, second verse. And so he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, he does this in verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. The first thing that we see is Paul here is in prison and he has communion with God. Do you realize the first thing is I just thank God. He has a time where he's there in prison, and he's just saying, God, I thank you. He's in a point of communing with God. And I think this is huge. Now, I don't know how you reacted when, you know, back at the beginning of this last year, where they were saying, you have to stay home, and you can't go here, and you can't go there. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm stuck at home. What do I do? Well, here's a really good thing. Commune with God. Thank God. There are so many people who, how many times have you heard, or maybe you've said it yourself, you know what, if I had more time, I would get into my Bible. If I had more time, I would pray. But I'm so busy doing this. I'm so, so what did God do? He just shut down the whole nation. So stay at home and seek me. Stay at home and pray. Stay at home and give me thanks. And what do we do? Well, we complain because we weren't out being able to do anything. But he says, you have an opportunity to draw near to me, draw near to me. And so he says the first thing is this community, I thank God whom I serve. Now, it's interesting that he's in prison and he still has this commitment to serve God. He's thanking him and saying, Lord, I'm so grateful that I can serve you with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. And so what is it that they did? He said, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. It's so wonderful to see what Paul does is in prison, he does what he can do, not what he may want to do. So all that Paul can do in prison is what? Well, if he wants to be faithful in his calling, if he wants to serve with this pure conscience, he can still serve God. He can't go out witnessing. He can't go to church to church, but he can pray. And I love the fact that what Paul does so faithful is he does what he can do. And I think this is a lesson for all of us as Christians because so often we're called to do things that you have to do what I do. No, you don't have to do what I do. And you don't have to do what the other person does. You only have to do what, what God enables you to do, what God allows you to do, what God you know, opens up the doors for you to do. And Paul here was limited to do one thing. I can pray. So what does he do? He says, oh, I thank God that I can serve with a pure conscience, that I can serve my God by praying and remembering you in my prayers night and day. That's huge. He didn't say, I'm praying for you once a week, and he means night and day, and I do believe that he's meaning night and day. He's praying for the works that God has established. He's praying for Timothy. He's praying for the church. And now he says in verse 4, I greatly desire to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. He says, I want to see you. Now, most scholars believe that when they had that last departing, that there were tears. 
And of course, you know that when Paul was leaving certain churches, that they'd go out and they'd cry and they'd weep and they'd fall on each other's neck and and they would cry. They would be sad to see the parting. And, And here's the reason. Because what happens is you begin to be family. Don't know why, but you begin to be family. And, and you're, you're, you're part of it. And we're all from different places and different backgrounds and different things. But uniquely, we're what? We become this beautiful family. We become those who pray for one another and encourage one another and build up one another. And this is what Paul is saying. You're family. And, and, and I'm, I'm, re, I'm desiring to see you. I'm being mindful of the tears. When we left, there was this sad parting. I mean, it was, it was, some was tears of joy because we get to love each other while we're here. But another is, is tears of, of, you know, sadness because now you have to go somewhere else and, and I have to stay here. And it's one of those things where there is this sadness that's going on. So they do believe that when they, they departed the last time, there were tears. I believe that to be true. So he says in verse 4, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. He said, I, I know when we left, we were sad, but oh, to see each other again, what joy would that be? To be able to come again once again, to be side by side and, and fellowshipping once again. And he says in verse 5, when I remember the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. So he now goes in, and as he's talking about all of this faithfulness, he says, one thing that I'm so grateful for is I'm calling to remembrance that genuine faith that is in you. So he makes this statement. He says, Timothy, your faith is pure. Your faith is is unadulterated. It is a genuine faith. What an encouragement, because if Timothy's doubting, well, what about this? I know I'm making a mistake. Don't worry about it. Your faith is genuine. And, and so be faithful in that. He says, now this faith which is in you, that was first in your grandmother Lois, and then it was in your mother Eunice. So I saw it in your grandmother, I saw it in you, and I'm persuaded that this same faith is in you. And so he begins to fortify Timothy's face as it was in your grandmother, it's in your mother, and it's in you. Now here's the thing, that Timothy has to have this faith in him. He can't get it because it was in his grandmother or in his mother. You have to understand that that faith has to be your own. It can't be your parents'. And when you realize that, you now need to grow in your own walk. You need to mature in your own reading, your own prayers, your own ministries. And and like Paul would say to Timothy, listen, remember what we said last week, don't let anyone despise your youth. Don't worry about that you're young. Be faithful in what God's called you to be. Be faithful in what God's called you to do. But you're not alone because he's given you a family to walk these things through. And so he makes this statement. He says, now, when I'm call to remembrance that genuine faith that is in you, which first was in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it is in you also. Therefore, verse 6, I remind you, stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So as we're going through this now, now we're seeing here that he goes to Timothy and he says, listen, you need to be faithful in this calling of yours. Now, you need to be faithful, of course, to to God and your creator because he's given you this faith that's all his. But understand, now you need to be faithful in your calling. And you need to, as he says in verse 6, I'm reminding you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So as he comes through here, he says, listen, you had a preparation for your faithfulness. Because you had this laying on of your hands, and and I'm reminding you, stir up the gift of God. Now, when he tells them to remind them, remember now, Peter said, I do not cease to remind you even though you know these things. 
There's some times where you just have to be re-reminded of a truth. And I love that because as we go through the scripture, how many times does God re-remind you of something that we covered, oh, last year or last month or last week? Like, oh, I needed to hear that again. I needed to be reminded of that truth again. So he's now saying, you need to be faithful in this calling. I'm reminding you, stir up. The gifts. In other words, take it from the bottom and pull it back to the top. When you're stirring things in, you don't leave it settled. You don't let it fall to the bottom like the dregs. You got to stir it back up, raise these things back and mix them back into the mix. So stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, Paul here was witness to that work of God. Now, there were others that did lay hands. The elders also laid hands. Now, keep in mind, I do want to share you something about the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is not which imparts that ministry. See, what we do as leadership, when we lay hands on someone, we're not imparting to them the gifts of the ministry. We're identifying that God has already imparted to them the gifts of the ministry. And so all we're doing is we're identifying what God has done, identify what God has called him. And he says, and here are the gifts that were you know, given to you through the laying on of, of my hands. And so Paul here was just already involved in his face. He's saying, you need to be faithful in this calling. But at the same time, in verse 7, he says, but you also have to be faithful in confrontations. And notice what he says in verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's a lot of commentators that do believe that Timothy had this timid streak in him. He was young. And through a lot of it, he was like, oh, I don't really want to just kind of boss my way around. And it's important not to boss your way around. But there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to read verses 10 and 11 to you. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 10, he says, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. So he says, when Timothy comes, let him come without fear. There's something about Timothy that is a little timid. And he's letting him know, listen, God hasn't given you that spirit of fear. It's not God that is making you trepidatious. And so, Understand, he's given you power. He's given you love. Now, this term power is that same word that you find in Acts 1-8, the dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite. It's a very dynamic, explosive power to be a witness. Now, here he says, but power and love, that term agape, the term love is agape, to which means you're completely given over to. And he says, so God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Now, I love it how God how Paul tells Timothy, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. When he's saying God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, then when Timothy sees Paul's boldness and he realizes, oh my goodness, he's given me that same thing. He hasn't given me the spirit of fear. I can have the same boldness that Paul had. And Paul had boldness. I mean, he would stand right up to Peter. The first pope, he'd stand up to him and say, listen, you're, you're playing the hypocrite. You're, you're going, you used to eat here with the Gentiles and now with, the, with the, you know, these legalistic Jews, now you're only eating with them and you're saying, I can't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And so here Paul was bold. And when he's telling Timothy, God hasn't given us a spirit, mark that, highlight that us in, the, in your Bible because it's saying, Timothy, wow, I can be like you then. If you know, I can have that same boldness that you have because he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us power and love and a sound mind. Now, that sound mind, a good way to put it is basically self-control, it's discipline. And so keep in mind when he's talking about fear 
And, and he says, no, you, you do have power, you do have love, but keep in mind that when you do bring about correction, that you need to be disciplined in your own ability to correct. You have to have self-control in your own ability to correct. You just don't yell at people and try to be a boss. You need to have this discipline. You need to have this self-control in your own heart, in your own actions. And then in verse 8, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Here where now he goes and he says, I'm gonna, I want you to be faithful to your charge. And so as he begins in verse 8 through verse 12, he lets them know what that charge was. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed that Jesus Christ is your Savior. It's one of those things where, you know, so often we have that tendency of always just God bless you, God bless you, rather than saying may our Lord Jesus bless you. What I love is, is I, I've given that message, that statement hundreds of times, and, and I'll tell you what, I never walk out of this building without Tim saying, may our Lord Jesus bless you. He, all the time, it's constant, where he says, that is the statement. And I love it. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed that he went to the cross and died for my sins. I don't, I don't have any shame saying that. I don't have any shame saying that, that he literally had to bore my shame, my sin, my guilt upon that cross. He went to the grave and he was there for three days and three nights and he rose again. God's saying, I accept the sacrifice for your sins. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. He says, don't, don't be ashamed of me because I'm in prison. I'm in prison. I was called a bad guy because... I preach this gospel. And he says, so don't be ashamed of our, the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So when you declare this gospel, know this, there's going to be people who are going to reject what you declare. And some will not just want to destroy the message, but they'll want to destroy the messenger as well. And so he says, hey, but, but share in these sufferings. Know this, when you share how good God has been in your life, how faithful Jesus Christ is to you right now, there are going to be some who reject that, and they're going to reject you as well. But what Paul says to Timothy is, I want you to share with me in these sufferings. If anyone rejects this message, share according to the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. There are going to be some who reject, some who receive. And he says in verse 9, as he goes on explaining this gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, I'm going to just back up to the bottom of the verse 9 before I go to the top of verse 9. You have to understand that when he saved us and called us, all this was done before time began. So realize that before Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, well, there was a discussion that went on before Genesis 1-1, and that was you, and that was me. And that was the work of the cross. And Jesus Christ said, yes, I want to do this for them. 
absolutely amazing that before Genesis 1-1 was 1 Timothy 1-9. This was before then. And so we're seeing here who has, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now, the holy calling is what you need to step up to what he's called you to do. In other words, be faithful in this, this charge and the calling that you have. But he says, not according to our works, but according to his purposes. You Keep in mind that there's a lot of things that we think we need to do for God. But then there's things that he wants us to do for him. It's not the things that you need to do. Well, I think I need to do this for God. No, why don't you wait for him to tell you what he needs you to do? Rather than just assuming, oh, he needs me to do this. No, it's not according to our works. And he doesn't save us because we're going to be good. He saves us what? It's his purpose. He wants to reveal his glory. He wants to pour out his love upon us. And so it's according to his purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So this, this grace and the mercy was God's purpose to save us even before he began to create the world. And in verse 10 he says, But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So he says this whole thing that we have as far as being called and given life, this whole eternal life was already proven, verse 10, it has been revealed by what? Jesus Christ coming on the scene. He went to the cross, he died, but then what? He rose again. And that's why it says, from the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. So he abolished death. No more death has no sting, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15. He abolished death. We no longer will be separated from God because of our sins. But we can now be knit to him forever. And this which he has done, he brought life and immortality. In other words, that we will forever live with him through this gospel, through the work. And so as Paul is saying, listen, this is what I've shared. This is what I've done. We realize, and I think it's so important, that all things work together for the good. He working, he's working all things together for this good. And so when we realize, God, you've already done this work, you're showing us that we have eternal life through your son. He came, he died, he's resurrected. We will have that life in him. And then in verse 11, where he talks about the end of verse 10, through this gospel, where he says, we'll have life and immortality to light through this gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher to the Gentiles. I was appointed to be a proclaimer of this gospel. And you have to understand that as I've been proclaiming this gospel, what I'm doing, and it's for this reason, verse 12, that here I also suffer these things. Why? The things that he's suffering is where he's now in chains. And so as we, we recognize that, that what he's done, where he says in verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor me his prisoner. As Paul here is a prisoner because of the gospel, this is what he's saying in verse 12, for this reason I also suffer. For this reason I'm in prison. For these things, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul says, I'm good. <laughs> no matter what happens, you have to know, Timothy, I'm good. And I'm persuaded, and I know that as I'm here, I'm not ashamed because I know that I have believed in Christ. I know that I've been faithful to what he's called me to do. And I have, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him. In other words, this is still his work. I mean, I've been faithful to do what he called me to do, but he's the one in all of my faithfulness, it doesn't even compare to his faithfulness. And I think this is something that should encourage all of us. When we think, oh, it's just so hard to be faithful. It's so hard to continue in this. Note this. Note Christ's faithfulness. He was faithful to the point of death. So that he went to the cross to die for our sins. And so 
think of his faithfulness. And this is where Paul says, listen, I'm able to, he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. In other words, everything that I've done that will require, you know, the purification of the gold, the silver, the precious gems, and the rewards in heaven, he's going to keep them in heaven for me. And anything that's not the wood, hay, and stubble, let it burn. I don't need that. But anything that I've done that has been faithful, that he's going to have that reward in heaven, he's able to hold on to it. It isn't me. Because I've just I've set it all, all, all ahead. And now he says in verse 13 and 14, where he says, you need to, Timothy, be faithful in your responsibilities. Look at what he says. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. The good things which were which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So as Paul says, you need to do one thing, hold fast the pattern of sound words. What is he saying? Declare the scriptures. Just be faithful in the scriptures. What he says in um, the second chapter, verse 2, he says, And these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. All these things that you've heard from me, tell them to someone else. In verse 15 of chapter 2, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he's going on, he's saying, listen, hold fast the pattern of sound words, he says now back in chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast. Grab a hold of them, anchor them in the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. In other words, what Paul is saying this, I say the same things over and over and over again. And I think that's not a bad thing because when you say it over again, all of a sudden what? It's like, oh yeah, you remember it, you think about it, you're aware of it. And so he says, hold fast this pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. He says, I've spoken them in faith, believing that when God says I'm going to send them out, that what I've declared and what God has sent out, he's going to be faithful and just, and he's going to do that which he needs those words to do. So he says, these things that I'm going out, I'm declaring in faith, but I'm also declaring them in love. Not in anger, not in bitterness, but in love. I'm wanting the hearts to turn closer and closer to Jesus Christ. That's why we declare these truths. So he says, you've heard from me in faith and in love, which are in Christ Jesus. And he realizes this faith and this love that he has, it's a gift. It's a gift that he doesn't have that kind of love in himself. I mean, what kind of love did he have in himself? Remember there back in Acts 8 and Acts 9, he was breathing threats and murders against the church. That's what kind of love he had. Oh, but he did love the Pharisees, those that loved him. But he had a hard time with others. And now what he says, what Paul says to Timothy, listen, all this faith in the love, it's in Christ Jesus. This is where that power comes from. This is where that ability comes from. So he says in verse 14, the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He says, listen, this gift, that God has given to you, these giftings that you have through the laying on of my hands. Remember back in um, verse 6, he said, I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And you can be bold. You have this power. You have this love. You have this sound mind. He says, what you do is you hold fast to this pattern of sound word and you keep this, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit. You need to hold on to it. In other words, like if you're on a ship in a storm, you just hold on to that mast. That's what you do. You're holding on to something. You're anchoring it. He says, when you have this gift, guard it well. And that's all he's saying here. He says, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Guard it, hold on to it, keep it by the Holy Spirit. Keep it by his power, keep it by his ability. In other words, yield yourself continually over to the Holy Spirit, saying, you need to empower me, you need to direct me. It has to be you. So in verse 15, he says, this you know that all those in Asia... 
And this is where he's going to talk about some who are now falling away. All those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me. And he was not ashamed of my chain, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. And the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy in the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So we see here that he mentions these two people in verse 15. Those are just mentioned here. They're not mentioned anywhere else. But then he goes on to mention um, Onesiphorus. And so he'd also refreshed him at Ephesus. He says, now when he came here to Rome, he was looking for me and looking for me. And he sought me diligently. And then he found out I was in prison. So what he did, he came right to prison and visited me. And then he began to minister to me. And so it's just beautifully, she says, he zealously sought and he found me. That's an incredible thing. So there are going to be some people who, when you find yourself suffering for the Lord, they're just going to walk away. And know that there are going to be some. They can't handle that. They can't handle, oh, you're suffering. And so they will walk away. But there's going to be others who come in that place of suffering and said, listen, we're family. And I don't need to walk away from you. I'm not uncomfortable because of your situation, but I'm here. And how can I minister to you? I can't do everything, but how can I minister to you through this time? And I think that's the key to realize in ministry. So often we always focus on the people who what? Who don't help and who walk away versus, wait a second, these people aren't so bad. These people are coming alongside and they're seeking to minister. Those are the ones that God says, you put those into mind. You put those into your heart. And so where he says, and I love in verse 18, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Oh, that God would bless him and watch over him. And then in chapter two, he says, now you therefore, my son, He's now kind of changing it up. He says, because of everything that we've now discussed here in chapter, or chapter one, he says, now you therefore, because of what went on before there, my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so he's making this point. He says, I need you to find strength and strength to do what? He said, you need to be strong in the grace. In other words, this grace that was given to you this ability to receive Christ and understand Christ and to know the gospel and to declare the gospel. He said, verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me and among many witnesses commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, Timothy, you got to reproduce. It's not about just you doing the ministry. You need to bring others in and then encourage them to do the same thing. How do you know that's true? Well, keep in mind that what? Paul is writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy. You're my son in the faith. Now, I don't know if he came to faith through Paul's ministry or through that ministry of his grandmother and, and, and uh, mother, but Paul helped build him up, grow him. He sort of adopted him as a son and saying, listen, I've helped build you up. So I'm now reproducing my ministry in you. You need to, we're verse 2, the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. That you need to replicate. You need to help others grow. And then you need to send them into that ministry of saving souls as well. So he goes on now in verse 3. It says, now... You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So here he's saying, okay, now, what you have to do is, is there's a continuing work that is needing to go on, and you have to endure hardship. Keep in mind that soldiers, if you've ever you know, seen the, uh, there's a recruiting video that they always give you, 
And those recruiting videos always seem like fun. They always pick out the very best of all the things that you could possibly do. And then you realize there was a whole lot more. Those recruiting videos are the big print. They don't say anything about the fine print. Because when you're a soldier, there's hardships that go on. I mean, you go, you go lots of nights without sleep. You, you know, they, they wake you up in the middle of the night and say, listen, we need to run wire down this mountain. It's only four miles back to the base camp. Just don't worry about it, but we need to get this down there. So what are you doing? You're, you're, you're doing whatever it is that they need you to do. And as they do this, you're going to have hardships. And he says, and you're going to have hardship as a good soldier. And so you realize that there are going to be hardships. Now, keep in mind that one of the things that the, the military does do is they train you. They make you work, and they work, and they work, and they work, and they work. And they, they, you become, your, your muscles are sore by the end of the morning, and then they're sore by the end of the afternoon, and they're sore by the end of the evening. And you're just sore all day, but guess what's happening? Your muscles are being built up. And you're becoming stronger and stronger. So yes, you're enduring hardships, but you're benefiting from those things as well. So he says, listen, you need to endure. You need to be responsible to continue in this work. And he goes in verse 4, no one engaged in this warfare entangles himself with the affairs of the life. And so what he's saying is this, that, that when you're engaged in the spiritual battle, you don't focus on the world. And that's why he says no one engaged in warfare, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And basically he's talking about worldly consumption, always seeking the things of the world. No, you begin to look for the spiritual things. Not just the worldly things, but the spiritual things. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Your focus is not in pleasing you in your flesh. Your focus is in pleasing the one who called you, the one who enabled you, the one who sent you. And then verse 5, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now here's a statement that... To understand, he says, if you want the crown, you have to compete according to the rules. And if you step outside the rules, guess what? You don't get the crown. You have to, you have to do what you're calling Jesus Lord, and you do well because he is, but you have to do what? What is it that you want, Lord? What is it that you're calling me to do, Lord? And so when you're wanting to compete in athletics, yeah, you've worked and you've endured and you're not you know, worried about all these other things. You're focused in that sport that you're in. And then what do you do? Well, then you have to do it right. Because if you're disqualified, all that hard work means what? Nothing. It means nothing. And so when he goes on, he talks about the enduring hardship as a soldier and no one entangling himself with the affairs of life. That's kind of the same thing when you say, you know, I want to just get into this sport. And, and what you do is this, you, you endure that sport and you work hard at that sport. It takes time in that sport and you give up other things to do that sport. And then when you're doing that sport, if you're saying you're disqualified, you can't do it. What was the purpose of everything else? And that's why I think it's so important, verse 5, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And so verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And so he says, listen, so when you are doing the work of the gospel, the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. It's received from the ministry. Be okay with that, Timothy. And so he says, a hardworking farmer, that, that when you do this whole planting and plowing and harvesting, you get to partake of it. You get to receive from it. And I think this is where even Paul here is finding that he says, Timothy, you're my joy. I'm partaking of just you and your faith and what's going on with you. And then he says in verse 7, consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So Ponder this and may you truly get what I'm declaring to you. And then in verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And now he begins to be very specific. He says, I want you to recognize that Jesus Christ, who was of the seed of David, he was the promised descendant that would come through Abraham, 
through Isaac, through Jacob, and then all the way through David, that he would be the one that through that the, the calling that God promised through Abraham, he promised through David that the son would come. And he says, this one here, the promised Messiah, was raised from the dead according to this glorious good news. And so with everything that he's done, he's now going back to the fact saying, guess what? Jesus is alive. Do you know why that's important? Because Paul here is about to go to death. Nero's about to put him to death. He says, Jesus is alive. And guess what that means? I'm going to live. I'm going to be alive. That's what he says in the very first verse of chapter 1, to the promise of life. I was promised life, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, according to this gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Although I'm here in chains, the word of God is not in chain. I'm talking to the people who are there around my cell. I'm talking to the people who are chained with me. The word of God is not chained. Therefore, verse 10, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So he goes, and I'm going to endure everything I can for those that God had called from before the foundations of the earth, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That God can just be eternally worshipped in glory because we are now made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ. And then he declares this, verse 11, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. Now keep in mind, he's just been talking to Timothy about what? Him suffering in prison and the fact that he's going to die. And notice verse 11, because what Paul here is, he's not fearing Nero putting him to death. But he writes to Timothy, he said, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. Do you understand that subtlety? He's trying to tell Timothy, don't worry about me being here. Don't worry about what Nero may do. Understand, if we die with him, note this, we shall live with him. What is Paul telling Timothy? This is a faithful saying. I'm going to be living with him soon. So don't worry about me. Don't worry about what I'm going through. I'm going to be with him. And so in verse 10, I'm enduring all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I want them to experience the life that I'm about to experience as I'm going to live with him. And so he now makes this statement where he says, if we endure... We shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, of course, he goes on and says, if we endure, we shall reign with him. you got to persevere, Timothy. You have to persevere. And there's a passage about persevering, and I, I'm always reminded of it. And you guys know it. I'll give you the location once again, but it's found in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, where he says this, If you've run with the footmen and they've wearied you, how then can you contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? He says, boy, if you're wearied running with the footmen, there's about, you're going to be running with the, with, the inf, with the cavalry in just a moment. He says, so if you're already wearied with the footmen, what are you going to do when you have the horsemen coming along with the cavalry? And so he says, if we endure, you have to continue to work through these things. Endure the things that are going on. If you endure, you're going to reign with him. But now he makes these two points. He says, if we deny him, and at this point, he's talking about the apostate. Those that have denied Christ Jesus, denied his work, denied his deity. So those who are apostates, if we deny him, he will deny us. In verse 13, he's not talking about the apostate. He's talking about the true child of God. And he makes this statement. If we are faithless, he remains faithful 
He cannot deny himself. So understand that both of these two are what? Failing miserably. One is the apostate who's simply denying him. One is the true child of God who's confessing him but still making mistakes. He doesn't want to make those mistakes, but he finds himself making the mistakes. But I love the fact that he says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Don't worry about making mistakes, Timothy. Don't worry about when I told you you, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and if you're still afraid. Don't worry about those mistakes. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Continue to be reminded of these truths. Continue to walk in these truths. And then he says this. Verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about with words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers, but be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth. At this point, he goes on and he begins to say, now you need to remind them of these things. I've talked to you that, listen, remind them of these things. In other words, remind who? Remember verse 2 here of chapter 2? The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord that what? Not to strive about with words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. There are these words that according to, remember when we were in 1 Timothy a couple of weeks ago? We're in chapter 1, verse 4, and he made this statement, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. Do you just want to just argue? you just want to debate and argue? Or do you really want to have people grow and to turn to Jesus Christ? So he says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about with words with no profit. Don't go through these endless genealogies and debates to the ruin of the hearers. But he tells Timothy, instead, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need it to be ashamed. So be diligent. What? Give yourself over to the Lord. Say, here I am reporting for service. Here I am looking to see what is your will today? What is your heart today? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed of rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, look to the word and compare it to the word. But shun these profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. There are people who are rejecting this good news and instead are going through angels and genealogies and all these other things. Verse 17, their message will spread like a cancer. And it's one of those things, and I don't know why it is, but the, the truth barely gets out the door and the lie is halfway around the world. And everyone wants to buy the lies, but no one wants to believe the truth. And it's so interesting. So this message is going to spread like cancer. So you, you need to be diligent to remind them again and again and again of these truths because lies will come in again and again. And so at this point, he says, their message will spread like cancer Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort. Now, Hymenius and Philetus, um, it says in verse 8, who have strayed concerning the truth. I want to take you to the end of verse 26, where after it says, and after they've come to their senses, and it says this, escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. There are some people who go into apostasy. They just reject what it is that God has done. And he says, be careful of this because what I'm calling you to do is to, um, you don't need to just argue. You need to love and you need to reason with the scriptures. But here there are going to be some people who have strayed according to the truth. They're going to be basically tools of the enemy 
And he says, saying the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. He's like, oh no, the church has already been taken up, but we're here, we're just going to be doomed. And so in verse 19, he says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So he knows who are his and if you are his, walk away from sin and then do this. Walk away from sin and walk towards God. And it's called sanctification. Look at verses 20 through 23. In the house of God, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the later, he'll be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid these foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. So he, as he's talking about this, he's now pointing out that within the church, in the church again, there are going to be some people who are going to be dissenters in the church. There's going to be some people who are going to be disillusioned with the church. And so there's some people who are going to bring about deception in the church. And that's why he talks about where he says at the end of verse 19, he says, um, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, begin to sanctify yourself. And that's what verse 21, therefore anyone cleanses himself from the latter. In other words, departing from iniquity. But he says in verse 20, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now, there are some things that are in your house that you can't wait to show people. Hey, I want you to see, you know, my, my counters, and I want you to see this couch, and, you know, I want you to see, you know, these things. That... There's very few people who will say, hey, I want to take you to my bathroom and show you my toilet. <laughs> Usually, you just sort of, like, leave that one aside. They're, they're going to see it. They're going to see it eventually, but it's not one of the things, you, oh, you got to see this, man, you know. No, there are some vessels that are for honor and some for dishonor, some that you really want people to use and others that you like, well, if you have to use, you can, but I hope you don't have to. And I think it's interesting that he says that within this great house, you have to understand that there are going to be some that, that God is going to be raising up and sanctifying, but there's going to be others who are in the church who are going to be apostates, who are going to seek to deceive and disillusion and bring um, discord and false doctrine. And so he says in a great house again, 2 Timothy 20, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, speaking of the true believer, but also of wooden clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. There, there, there's some that are going to be a blessing and some that aren't going to be a blessing. And so we see here, verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from the later, the latter, in other words, the dishonor, if you cleanse yourself from that dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And this is where, you know, I think it's just so important that, that, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I love it how Daniel, in his first chapter, verse 8, remember where we cover that? Where Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. I want to I put myself in front of God. I want to, you know, grow towards God. That's what I want to do. And I think it's important to say that you want to be this vessel useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name on the Lord out of a pure heart. So he says, I want you to basically flee those lusts that are within your flesh, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Just those things that allow you to be sanctified. And then it says, and pursue these things with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, who sincerely are wanting to glorify Jesus Christ. Now he says in verse 23, avoid these foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife that you have all these dangers on the inside of the church. And there are those who just constantly want to bring disputes 
and want to generate strife who aren't trying to build up the body of Christ. And so he says in verse 24, after he talks about verse 23, those people who are generating strife, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all and able to teach and patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to by him to do his will. So he's saying, I want to free them from the chains of the devil, but what you need to do, Timothy, as a servant of the Lord, is you must not quarrel. Don't be getting in people's faces. I love what Moses did when everyone was getting in his face, saying, who, you know, who are you? We, we hear from God, we know. And what Moses did, rather than getting in their face, he got on his face. Moses simply fell on his face. And you see that over and over again. And I think this is important. The servant of God must not quarrel, but he must be gentle to all. And he's also able to teach and patient. And this is an important thing because when you are, you know, just don't be one who's argumentative. Don't be one who gets in a yelling match. Be gentle to all. Now that word all actually means all. It means everybody. Be gentle to everybody. If they come in, be gentle with them. And as they're gentle to all, then you need to be able to teach. And we're study to show yourself approved and you need to be patient. Why do you think that he says, after you're able to teach, be patient? If you've ever been a parent and you've talked to your children and you try to teach them, don't do this, what do they do? They do what you tell them not to, but you got to be patient with them and you got to be patient with them. Just because you're teaching it doesn't mean they're going to walk it right away. So while you teach it, you wait for the Holy Spirit to do that work within their lives. You need to be patient, but in humility, in other words, in gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance. So seek to turn them gently back to God. So in other words, you who are spiritual, seek to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness and gentleness, as Galatians 6.1 says, so that they may know the truth. All you want to do is you want to declare the truths and declare the truths and declare the truths. So study to show yourself approved that you can declare these truths, this thing that Paul said over and over again. Why? Verse 26, that they may come to their senses that they may come and the light may come on and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I was that way. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that that was my heart. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. That they'll no longer be used as a tool of the enemy, but they'll be used as a vessel, as a tool, as an instrument in the hand of our Lord, directed and empowered by his spirit. May that be our hearts, amen? Well, Father, we do thank you for this word, and we thank you for your heart, how good you are. And Lord, we are asking that you would continue to draw us to your heart, knit us to your purposes. So with all of these things, Lord, we're simply asking that you would grant to us in the same way as you did to Timothy, just give us boldness to proclaim you, Jesus. Give us boldness to declare that we are yours. All this happened because... Paul was in the light, and he wanted Timothy to remain in the light and to draw people from the darkness gently and wonderfully and, and just so calmly into the light in love and in grace and in mercy. And so help us to receive from this word your will for our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all the saints of God said, Amen.